Charlotte Palmer at Food Wisdom Podcast, bringing you news, views and interviews on all things food, nutrition and wellness. Stay listening to Mind Expanding Conversation. Just eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. Just eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. I'm here with Nick Barnard from Charlotte Palmer at the Food Wisdom Podcast. Nick Barnard, the Managing Director of food, of Rude Health. I was going to call it Food Health then. <laughs> Rude Health. Um, we're, thank you very much for being with me today. Well, good day to you, Charlotte. Thank you for inviting me. We are here to have a little chat, aren't we, about food, about the food industry, about your products, and cereals in general, food in general. Isn't that right? That's absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, you, you've, you've actually... Um, raised one issue that I think is central to any of our discussions is our relationship to the word food. So I have a a lightweight ban in Root Health on the use of the word product for anything that you eat because I'm encouraging a a raised consciousness towards the act of finding, preparing and eating food. And that's that's my mission, that's my purpose. So what inspired you to set this, this, this uh, company up, Rude Health Company? I'm one of many, and I think it's probably latent in all of us, just as a book in all of us. You know, you've got your bestseller in, your, in, in each of us, although I've um, done my book writing as well. But the latent desire in all of us, which I think is, a, is, is actually a, a yearning that we have uh, felt, probably multi-generational now, to do something about food, in other words, to find more trusted, uh, more responsible sources of food or responsible producers that taste good for the right reasons. So the principle of of the the, 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 uh, startup principle was, as I say, quite common. You can't find what you want, so you make it yourself. And this is 13 years ago in Southwest London. And we're still at it, family company, Uh, still very small in Fulham, you know, in the scheme of things. Um, And the principle is still the same, that what we feed ourselves and our family is what we would recommend to others. So would you agree that um, healthy food and ethically produced food should should and do go hand in hand? That's a very good point. Um, If you take, if you roll back 13 years, and indeed in certain parts of the world where healthy food is more or less consigned to a sort of dreary, um, uh, culture, in other words, you know, there's brown packaging and everything's brown, and it's it was more it was indeed somewhat associated with suffering. You know, you suffered because you missed. You know, it's rather like um, how the Americans suffered with the uh, with the the, the um, uh, anxiety over fats. They suffered. Um, for missing what was in effect the flavours that they wanted in their food when they were following the lipid hypothesis, which of course was completely wrong. And so the, 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 what we were, was we were pioneers. Root Health was, was pioneering, but not because we were clever. It was pioneering because we were just intuitive. In other words, if it tasted great and you had original trusted ingredients from a great and vital source where you could shake the handshake of the producer, it tasted great for the right reasons. And the issue that most people have is that they're confused as to whether health food should, if it tastes miserable, it's doing them good. And if it tastes great, is, it take, is the food tasting great because it's been, in effect, pimped to make it moorish? We have 
taken that knife edge between what's in effect so-called health food, and I would argue that the word health food is a misnomer anyway. All food is, is healthy, it's just less or more health-giving. You are healthy and I am healthy, and the food we eat influences that. So we've always run this fine balance between creating food that is, um, what is, it? is authentic in the sense of its, of its, of its energy and its, and, its, um, and, and its origin, but at the same time, you want to eat more of it for the right reasons. Would you, would you say that um, as a business, not for yourself, but general businesses, when they're presented with um, the whole ethical issue of, well, I can make more money if I, if I compromise my product a little bit, would you say that happens all too common in the food industry? I, I can't say for others, but except by, by trial and error, you know, <laughs> you, you, can, you can taste it, can't you? Yeah, oh, you can definitely. I mean, it, 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 the, um, marketing is very strong. It is. You know, it's, it, 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 I would say that it, it, it's, it's a very strong perpetrator of mythology. Correct. Around, okay. I mean, because don't forget that we don't own, you know, you as a spokesperson and a, and a commentator will be using the words natural and healthy and, and sustaining and so on. But these words are so easily hijacked. I agree. And I tend to not use the word health as much, healthy as much no. because I think it's been so uh, hijacked yes. and so used next to every single um, food product, advert. It, it, it doesn't actually mean anything anymore. No. You can't just call something healthy. I, mean, I, think, I think to come back to your question, we began 13 years ago with a, with a simple principle that if we, if we were happy with our ingredients, and we would eat the food, then we felt responsible to sell the food. We felt happy and we felt it was our responsibility to make food like that. And that has remained the same. You know, you will see us with our sprouted flowers that are extremely expensive. And they're expensive for the right reasons. You know, we, 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 make, we make food that is to our standard, not to a marketplace demand. So we've you know, we, we produce a range of sprouted flowers and our sprouted oats, which are supremely Moorish for the right reasons. And we will continue. This, this isn't innovation. This is merely following what our ancestors knew how to do intuitively or in, you know, from a multi-generational habit. We're just re-evaluating which of those multi-generational habits and recipes are relevant for us today, and most of them are.
I think I think that 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 that's a very good point. You know, we've had endless meetings with um, people wanting to bigger our business. You know, I mean, it, it's uh, I'm sure you've read the book The Lorax. You know, the idea that you can just bigger everything, mm. and in order to do that, for the most part, you have to compromise. And time and time again, I come back to the principle that if something can't be biggered because intrinsically it doesn't suit the nature of its preparation. Mm. You, 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 you must not bigger it and compromise because all you're doing is you can taste the misery in that compromise yeah. or you can wow. feel the effects of that misery or that, that, that compromise in the misery of the after effect. In other yes. words, I don't feel, I, I, my digestive system has suffered, yes. my metabolism is ruined, my immune system is compromised. I mean, it's, 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 and there are many layers, aren't there? It's not just about, <coughs> our, it's not just about our personal physical health, but it's about our... Um, how can I say, our conscience, you know, the conscience of the environmental impact. Um, I know that most people don't go around feeling guilty about eating something that has an impact on the environment because most of us aren't really conscious about the impact of something. But on some, how can I say, subconscious level, it doesn't feel good to know that we're, we're consistently consuming foods that are having a huge environmental impact. And, and this is what led me on to contacting you because I was in the supermarket, as you know, and I was looking for a packet of digestive biscuits for my, my housemate because I wanted to make him a banoffee pie. And I couldn't find a single packet of biscuits on the supermarket aisle that didn't include palm oil. And often rapeseed oil as well, which I'm, I really dislike. Um, so it, 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 isn't that disgusting? Well, you, you've touched on about 20 different points there that we could talk for hours about. <laughs> but let's go to the yeah. issue around uh, those biscuits and yes. the palm oil. Let's think about our relationship with the biscuit in relation to its provenance. That, was, that, that palm oil, which was, it's just very cheap oil, 
and so it's very pseudo in the scheme of things. And of course, it has a sort of halo effect of being local, which in, in the sense of rapeseed is a sort of irrelevance. But we could do a separate podcast on the big fat surprise, quite frankly. I'd love to. But when we get to the palm oil, let's just look at this in terms of our consciousness and raising our consciousness about what it means. I'm not talking about orangutans. I'm talking here about diversity in monoculture. Yes. Because there is none. There is no diversity in monoculture. And it doesn't matter whether you're growing um, rapeseed or you're growing palm oil. What you do is the moment you start to um, increase uh, or decrease diversity through monoculture, whether it's... Um, uh, you know, it, it could also be soya. Mm. Uh, it depends, just no matter what diet or regime you're following, as soon as you, whether it's dairy, dairy monoculture is just yes. bad. But come back to palm oil. Yeah. Those palm oil plantations in Southeast Asia, you do a study of the bird life in those plantations, and there's three or four species of birds. The adjacent tropical rainforest will have 160 species of birds. So, what you've got here is that you've got this. This narrow band of production, which creates a narrow, this this is unnatural. It's unnatural in in the scheme of our wonderful nature, and therefore it cascades right the way down through the ingredients into that biscuit on your supermarket shop and into you. In other words, what's shutting down nature is shutting you down, and all of that profit that comes from using cheap ingredients is at the expense of nature. And as you are. Charlotte's a lovely creature of nature, as everybody listening to this podcast is, you are directly influencing, by your choices, your relationship with nature. And food is the closest, most direct route to nature in our predominantly urban lives. Well said, absolutely. So obviously, um, the, the environmental impact is an issue, and also the health impact that rapeseed oil is, is causing, um, it's now been associated with Alzheimer's and causing lesions on the heart, uh, and yet it's local, going back to that bit, and it's a growing issue for us, so, you know, we'll you, you all have Alzheimer's at the age of 50 if we carry on like this. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, you, you have a situation where you're, you're ticking the short-term boxes of, of anxiety, you know. Are you, if you replace rapeseed oil with, sorry, if you replace palm oil with um, rapeseed oil, you know, you're, you're meeting various criteria around being, uh, doing good for the local agricultural uh, world. But it's always, there's always a backstory. And one of the great backstories is, is that Oreos, you know. Well, yeah, did, um, yeah, we're all campaigning against Oreos. Uh, yeah, <laughs> using palm oil right now. Well, did you know that they, there's a fantastic um, legacy there, is that they use lard as right. the fat in yeah. Oreo, in the, in, in the filling. Mm. And then they went to rapeseed oil, they went to canola, which of course is what rapeseed yep, oil is in America. Right. Yep. And I think they also went, I think they started to use hydrogenated fats, then that was outed. Mm. Then they started using, I think, vegetable oils, including, let's say, canola rapeseed oil. And then they've gone back to palm oil. And they've gone back to palm oil because probably it's a legacy of cheapness, you know, it's cheaper. But I think also it's because it probably has the better properties for making that biscuit shorter or whatever it is or indeed the filling more moorish mm. but imagine it originally it had lard that would have been a lot healthier if I you're up for so. eating lard which that's I, right you know, which, I certainly which, am then yep. that's a lot healthier than any of these what are in effect low smoke point uh, omega-6 high omega-6 oils which yes. are inflammatory oils yeah 
it, it's actually a, a shame, I think, um, because it's the low-income people that, that are really getting the impact of this, because they're the ones that are buying the cheap biscuits in the supermarkets. Uh, you're right. I've don't... never eaten an Oreo, for <clears throat> you, ever. No, and that's, um, I won't hold that against you or Thank for you. you. <laughs> um, I can't say that I have, although... Um, never been. But, 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 but because perhaps, like, the two of us are similar in the sense that we like our... Our, our protein and our fat, not, not, not to the extent that we're paleomaniacs yes. or that we're a maniac in any way, right. but it's just that temperamentally. And I think the crucial point that I missed saying in my uh, uh, impassioned eulogy a moment ago mm. is that you, Charlotte, are uniquely you. And if you don't like Oreos, that's fine. And if you don't like fat, that's fine, because you are uniquely you. And if you can feel, which is what we've been conditioned not to do, if you can feel what suits you, rather than just consume out of gluttony, consume because food is fuel, you are going to have a much better understanding of what constitutes the right foods for you. And I know that I'm a much more of a, of a, of a fats and not necessarily protein. I actually like fats because of the, the, the satiety and, and the flavour. But, 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 but whether that's butter or ghee, yeah. but also responsibly sourced fats that I know and I have an understanding as to where they came from and what quality they have.
which is much much better midway. It or, is. I mean, it's it, it, ethical it, and it's 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 you know. It, it is. I mean, when, when I well, all, all, all our foods, um, you know, we we have uh, uh, we, we are a, 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 an ideas, or we are merely reaching back into the past and looking up to our ancestors and saying thank you for these um, for this wisdom. And when it comes to making the food, I go out to the best makers I can find. So I go to a Scottish biscuit maker, and he would like to use the cheapest oils and the cheapest sugars and sure, put lots would. of wheat flour in and so on, which is full of glyphosate. Yes. And I would say, no, no. And I would, what is lovely, Charlotte, is that we go into these bakeries and we go into these small facilities and we help them to move them along in terms of what constitutes a good ingredient from both the agricultural practice but also a good ingredient in terms of its nourishment and its nutrient density in relation to its flavour. Glyphosate is a massive big issue with non-organic wheat, isn't it? It's a huge issue throughout our entire food chain. Yes, I, know. I, 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 I can tell you now that I, I have been to farms where I can smell the glyphosate at harvest time yes. and they are ripening the crop. One farmer I went to see in Scotland was ripening his, his barley for malting, for whiskey. So then if you look at it from, a, from a, a, a distilling point of view, you're actually concentrating the glyphosate in the whiskey. Oh, so if you think about it, if you like whiskey, you should really only be choosing organic whiskey, which is, oh, which is out there. I do actually like whiskey. Yeah, well, then, then you need to drink organic whiskey. I don't whiskey. enough of it to be worried no. too much. And, and also, yeah, I mean, and also all these agricultural practices are in these um, fast-track, uh, so-called low-cost agricultural practices are all needing to use what are in effect short-term uh, um, heavy hitters such as glyphosate mm. to, to uh, push back what are in effect nature's reaction which is to grow weeds. So we are eating, we are pursuing cheap food, the entire culture, particularly since the Second World War, has been towards cheap food and we're pursuing it at our peril and at nature's peril because we are of nature. So, going back to what I talked about with um, the ethical issues with, with and the cheapness of things in supermarkets, in light of everything we've spoken about and more, should we really be um, trying to avoid shopping at supermarkets who are contributing to factory farming, ecocide and all these different unethical practices? Because we're all complicit in a way, no matter what our our personal choices are, our personal belief system and our ethics, if we all spend most most of our money, our week, do our weekly shop in one supermarket, one of the main big supermarkets, then we're still giving over our money to an organisation who are still perpetuating these practices. Yeah, it's, it's do you know what? It, we are human and we love our convenience. Yes, We love to be able to shop in one place, supermarkets, there's an impassioned rant, I think it's still on our website, mm. at that big of any food festival about five or six years ago. Yeah. Um, and that was by um, David Lee Wilson of Helen Mon Salts, and he talks about the, how the word supermarket is an insult, because it's not a supermarket. Neither right. is it super, nor is it a marketplace. <laughs> but we are human, and we crave, you know, we crave an easier life. And my view when establishing Root Health with Camilla, my wife, 13 years ago, and our view was that, and we were given this, this very difficult decision quite early on in the history of the company, should we sell into supermarkets? 
And I took the decision that we should on the basis that in those days, 80% of all breakfast cereals, or I think maybe it was 90% yes. of all breakfast cereals, were sold out of supermarkets. So therefore, if we could appear with a pop-up yes. with this great breakfast cereal, which sure. was our founding food in, 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 in those early days, only about 40% of our business now, we would be making a difference because we were there where people shopped. Yes. Now, I consider that you can then shop within the supermarket to affect what's in effect what is, um, in, in a way, a strong impact on the agricultural system and on the supply chain, or the broken supply chain, or the unsustainable su supply chain that faces all of us in terms of our decisions around food. You know, should I buy avocados because, you know, they are destroying the ecosystem of tropical producers? Should I buy chia seeds? You know, how, how many chia seeds are there in the world?
choice. You're, you're purchasing your basket, your trolley load of food directly impacts on the profitability of those producers. So even if you make your small change from not buying a one pound chicken to buying a chicken that is at least um, had a, 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 a better life and is, is therefore likely to be more nutrient rich and has created a, a, a better relationship with nature or has a better relationship with nature, you're already making a, a, an impact. And you'll see this already in the way that the retail environment around us, the food retail environment, is changing week by week as people are much more, and I'm, here I'm talking about those who, who are bided to make a decision to change. They can now go to online, they can be promiscuous, they can go to online sources, they can go to farmers markets, and they can vote with their, they can vote with their um, spending power. And small, everyday changes to buying higher quality meat less often, to to making a handshake at a farmer's market, and instead of saying to the farmer, why are your eggs three pounds, six, or whatever it is yes. you're whinging about, you say, thank you for bringing these eggs. As long as you're sure that his story is correct and his story is valid, you say thank you. You don't whinge about the price. True. Because they are price takers. Farmers are not price makers, they're price takers. And their lives are, are doubly hard because of this pursuit of cheap food for our gluttony. Agreed. Totally agreed. I couldn't agree with you more, actually. Um, that there is something very reassuring about the farmer's market. When you go to a farmer's market and they, um, you know, they have quite stringent rules, actually, to get into a farmer's market. Not just anyone can just walk, turn up, truck up with a, with a van full of a bag of potatoes and some cabbages, you know. No, I mean, we... we, we are very we, stringent. We, and we're blessed here. I mean, we, yeah. can, we can be... Uh, uh, feel extremely blessed here in London. I mean, I can't feel blessed in London. It's one of the most polluted cities of, you know, the, uh, in, in oh, Europe in one sense, <laughs> or indeed increasingly so. But we do have this amazing choice. And that's what city-states have done, or cities have done, is that they've, um, they run the agenda on the farming fraternity. And at the moment, it's being run through the middlemen, which are the processors, whether it's the dairy, whether it's the um, bakers, whether it's the makers of what's in effect food for our machine age. It's, 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 it's mechanistically produced food. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that if it's done with a light touch and with the supreme knowledge of how not to destroy the um, nutrient value of that food. I mean, there, there is a, a very interesting quote, which is, you have to qualify, which is, you know, uh, long shelf life, unnaturally long shelf life in food and drinks, generally equals short human life. Yep. But you've got to be careful there because you could have an unnaturally long shelf life in a fermented food. Yes. But it is naturally long. You think it, you think, well, sorry, it's got a long shelf life, but that's a natural shelf life. Sure. But when you buy a processed um, substance, I'm not even going to call it food, and you leave it out and it remains stable for weeks, or, or uh, something called so called bread in a plastic bag that doesn't age, doesn't decompose. You know that this is your body doesn't want um, what is in effect preserved foods in its body. It wants foods that it can can have had 
that it can decompose through digestion and get the, the ingredients out. Yeah, we wonder why we, we collectively as, as, a, as a nation have so many health problems. It's, it's why we have obesity issues, diabetes, we have inflammatory problems. Yes. Mainly the under, underlying issue is inflammation. It is a perfect and storm. Lots of digestive problems. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and, and for a lot of people, wheat is actually an issue, which is why oats are a healthier option yes. in comparison, and they're a slightly easier, like the, the gluten content in it. Yes. I mean, it, it, this is this is again. I mean, it, 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 I can I can uh, shamelessly uh, punt my book, Eat Right, yes. here because you can indeed. Um, <laughs> in in that cookbook, you know, 130 recipes, all of these topics that we're discussing mm. are teased out. Yes. So it's not just a you know a pretty cookbook. It's a, it's a it's a it's my tribute to the ancestral wisdom that has been shared with me by farmers, cooks, and, and homekeepers, and benevolent providers of knowledge handed down. And there are essays in there. There's essays about gluten. There's essays about you know olive oil and so on. All of these topics that are thrillingly important to examine the backstory of, because we we have been duped. And our health has been taken away from us by our own greed. So in other words, we are, I wouldn't put a finger on any multinational food corporation, on any supermarket. I wouldn't say you are singularly responsible. You are responding to market forces driven by human temperament. And so that doesn't necessarily mean that we should, you know, we should then breathe a sigh of relief and say, well, you know, at least I've got nobody to aim at but in many ways it is yourself you're aiming at you know yourself first and your digestive system and your ability to tolerate or, in, or find certain foods intolerant and you increase your knowledge and in doing that you don't increase anxiety which is what the whole consumer world wants you to do you consume largely because you're anxious because you're greedy and when you when you when you have satiety of that greed, what you're doing is that you're creating a craving and an aversion cycle. You crave it and then it makes you feel ill. You crave it and it makes alcohol yeah. does this, sugar does this, coffee does this, all sorts of foods do this. And we have to break that cycle individually, day by day, step by step. And at Root Health, we have never, ever taken a position of creating further anxiety by saying this is better than that or this sucks and therefore you should be anxious if you desire it sure. just you know it's like an oreo sucks or whatever it is yeah. that you think is bad we don't go out there and have a go at it what we do is we encourage consciousness and when you have that greater consciousness and reading hearing listening to your blog going to your events following the sort of thoughts um, leaders or, 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 or guides that are truly challenging our relationship with food, you can step by step, day by day, piece by piece, unravel the complexity of your relationship with food and then feel stronger for it and feel liberated. Just another pair of hair.
Biscuit or, or some flakes for breakfast with some semi skimmed milk, and that's supposed to be something yes, I mean, healthy, it, it, you know. And, and yet, people it, don't know what the process is. No, they go I mean, it, it's even more hilarious than that because I think there's a, a, an American, whether it's the uh, Food and Drug Administration, whatever it was back in the early yes. 20th century, they put out a notice saying to their farmers, maybe some, some sort of agricultural guidance group. They sent out a note to their farmers saying, if you want to fatten pigs, feed them corn and skim milk. That's right. So, what's going on? Mm. We have been encouraged for two or three generations since breakfast cereals were the first convenience food. They were the first international, long shelf life, convenience food that revolutionized. It was novel food. And you have to choose the word novel very carefully. In other words, it was science food. So not only were we doing what the farmers were being told to do to fatten themselves, we were being told to eat because it was good for us, it was health-giving, you know, to have a bowl of flakes made of corn and skim milk, but that fattens pigs and That's it right. fattens us. But, but let's come back to the, to the incredible desire of mankind for novelty. You know, whether it's an upgrade to your digital device, novelty whether it's the latest of something, novelty. 1903 or there, World's Fair in St. Louis, they fired puff rice from cannons over the visitors as they entered the World's Fair because it was novel. It was science food. And we thought, mankind thought, wow, I'll have some of that. Up until now, I've had cold cuts and some oats for breakfast, but this is novel. I can have this straight from the packet. I don't have to soak it overnight. I don't have to eat that tired old piece of brisket of beef, whatever it is, that be sitting in the fridge for days. I can have flavours in the morning that are really Moorish, all for the wrong reasons. And so this whole cycle began. And what's extraordinary, Charlotte, is that if you think about breakfast cereal starting to, the, my bad, I mean the, 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 the industrial commoditized breakfast cereals, not oats and elements of the use of oats and and traditional soaking practices and congees and porridges and so on, which are embedded in our psyche. We all love a good bowl of gruel because our 
ancestors over 30 or 40 generations, that was more or less all they ate. Right, it's ideal for, for winter, isn't it? And it's ideal for winter. Yeah. But, but what's extraordinary is that this love affair with that sort of, uh, with, with that impoverished, nutrient impoverished breakfast here is only just coming to an end now. It's taken nearly a hundred years, 80 years, of endless gorging of what doesn't done us any good. What, what, would you agree that the food industry has actually set us up in a vicious cycle in a much the same way as the financial industry has? It's caught in a vicious cycle of constantly hungry and constantly wanting more and it's never enough. Yes, and, 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 and indeed, you know, if you, if, if you think about it... It's like kind of got us trapped. It know? has, it has, because you know what? It's almost a sin to feel hungry. Yes. You're, it's almost, you're almost given a sense of anxiety if you're hungry because you can go and snack. So in other words, the answer is snack, or the answer is stuff yourself. And this is nonsense, nonsense. It doesn't matter whether you as a person love the satiety effect with a swollen belly. After all, we've spent, that's, that's fine. But our ancestors, not ever did they stuff themselves all the time, sure. like we do. Yeah, in China, the greeting is not in this day and age, even in, in this day and age, you don't say hello, how's the weather, good day, blah, 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 blah. You would say, have you eaten? Have you eaten rice is the greeting. Because they've spent 2,000 years on the precipice of starvation. Most generations, multiple times during those generations. So they know what it feels like to be hungry, multi-generations. And our ancestors weren't just as the Chinese weren't concerned about whether or not it was clean food or dirty food, sure. whether it was vegetarian or whether it was paleo. <laughs> they weren't concerned whether it was right. cheap or expensive. They weren't concerned whether it looked good or it didn't look good. All the things that we're obsessed by now, they were concerned about where the hell the food would come from. Yeah. Would they have enough to feed themselves? And that created a much better relationship with food because you were thankful and you were thoughtful, and you used every single scrap of that food. But it's hard. You've got to set up routines and disciplines. It's, it's hard for the right reasons. It's hard to give the best benefit. It's hard because it's in harmony with nature, and nature is not easy. Nature is, is life, is, is existence, which is constantly a a, a, a cycle of rising up and passing away. Nature doesn't allow us to live forever. We don't, you know, so we don't go around trying to, trying to, in effect, ossify and, and freeze the pleasures of our lives because it's just rising up and passing away.
deserted shore Your fickle friends are leaving Ah, but then you know It's time for them to go Food is fuel, energy, oats, you know, oats were, you, uh, I, I'm a particular fan of porridge and I love it and it's one of the most satiating foods. A lot of my clients will say to me, I haven't got time to make it. Yes. You know, have you, have you heard that one? It's and terrifying. The Scots were uh, an unbeatable, powerful race when they were just on oats before we could introduce them. Just as in the Did same way, that? absolutely, just in the same way as the Viet Cong in those jungles in Southeast Asia fighting against the French and then the Americans, they lived on what was in effect toasted rice in little, yeah. little pockets on, you know, on their belt. And they, whereas those uh, European and, uh, and American forces were living on you know, what was in effect fast food yeah. or in effect rations that were totally inappropriate for the 
um, effectiveness of the soldier. So we, the idea we don't have time is that you don't, you, you, you don't have time in your life not to have time. Your life is so short and so exquisite, you would like to be happier. You can only be happy, you can only escape from the misery by doing something about your own condition. And when you fall into a state of poor health, you clamor for happiness. You have to do something about it. And if that involves buying a £10 chicken instead of a £1 chicken, and then making three meals in the week from it, and three litres of stock, which you then well, you can freeze and use, that's your first step. And at Root Health, we don't just sell porridge or almond drink or you know, our sprouted flowers or our new nut bars. We don't just sell that, we sell the ethos of making the change inside yourself, step by step, little by little, to break out of this sense of being trapped, a victim, and of being ill, of being, of being um, in effect, uh, manipulated by big food. No, no, no. We've allowed ourselves to be because it meets our criteria of comfort, satiety, and the endless cycle of craving and aversion that mankind is suffering and has always suffered from. So, Nick, rude health do and never ever extrude the cereals, do they? No. No, you don't. You don't. I mean, do I mean, again, it, Unlike some of the other big companies. But you, 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 you Charlotte, you, what you've done is that you've jumped in there into the sort of micro. Uh, uh, analysis but you're right and it pains me to see that when you see a brand flake yeah. of any manufacturing any description brand. any brand yeah. how could you have a grain that made a flake that big where is there a grain in nature that makes a flake that big as soon as you see so-called breakfast cereals that yeah. are massive or of uniquely uniform shape or are of shapes whether it's you know alphabets or creatures or anthropomorphic anthropomorphic uh, uh, shapes. Yeah. Um, it's been through the, one of the biggest, most uh, pressurized machines in the food industry called an extruder, which is also how you make pasta, by the way, cheap, yeah. you know, everyday pasta. You're making a, a mulch out of cheap grain and, and water, and you, you can fortify it with vitamins, yeah. and you make this, uh, a, this um, paste, this dough, and then you force it through much as you would through any um, uh, small uh, aperture with huge power behind it. So you create pressure and heat, but you've already broken down the ingredients into their basis, uh, most indigestible uh, level. And then you put it through under tremendous heat and pressure, and then you bake it at the end and coat it in sugar, and, and then you bake it. Oh, well, that's a candy. That's a candy, really. That's a, that's a sweetie. It is. And therefore, it is... It is deeply upsetting to see how you can make organic extruded foods. Whereas, really, to me, the kite mark for organic and any of these kite marks that one wishes to use as a trusted kite mark can be abused in that way. But don't get me going on organic. No. We can then talk about organic <laughs> pop tarts. You know, there, are, there are organic yeah. pop tarts out there. That's there, right. all, yes, yes. You know, and also, I don't think I'm that, I, I don't think that homogenised milk should be allowed to be sold as as, a, as organic. Totally agree with you. So, anyway, yeah. but that's another that's, that's another conversation in which food goes through is an eternal conversation. <laughs> It is. So do you want to tell us, the listeners, about your Rude Health range? Because I know you said you're developing some 
biscuits. So we'll we are. Biscuits I mean, it was got. it was so funny that you should email me with your with your rant about palm oil and rapeseed oil in these yeah. biscuits. Yeah. We make biscuits already, but they are uh, semi-savory. They they are more or less savory. They're delicious. I like your ginger ginger yeah. ones. And, and we we shamelessly add a tiny amount of rapadura sugar just yeah. to give it a roundedness. Not because we're duping you into greed, no. you know, greedy um, uh, desire or the, 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 the craving. Um, and we feel that regardless of whether or not you may not need to have a biscuit, it is a pleasant, delightful tradition in Western European culture. I mean, ship's biscuits and biscuits were, you know, one way of, of making uh, baked grains uh, last longer and to be palatable, you know, in, in certain um, occasions. So we're going, we're at the moment developing biscuits that will meet your criteria, so I'm very happy to say that we're just responding to you, Charlotte. But we, um, <laughs> we've also just um, launched, we uh, just launched some nut bars, which are, are bound together with honey, small amount of honey to glue it together. Right. And they are, they are Moorish for the right reasons. And they suitable for children. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure children, I know some couple of children that love these. It is, it is, you know, we struggle, we struggle ourselves as adults to eat food uh, consciously, let alone trying to influence our children to be able to eat food that is going to enrich their, 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 their growth cycle, which is a crucial growth cycle, because they're bombarded with desire as much as they're bombarded with digital uh, yearning and digital craving. So we have to steer this very delicate pathway, this very thoughtful pathway, is to, rather than giving them a bad relationship with food by saying, you can't eat this, you can't eat that, you're making them anxious, we actually have to celebrate food with them as a positive act. And that just means you have to put more effort into it. You have to put more effort and thoughtfulness. In other words, you have to think about ways of sneaking nourishment into their food. Suzanne takes you down to her place near the river. You can hear the boats go by. You can spend the night beside her. And you know that she's half crazy. But that's why you want to be there. And she feeds you tea and oranges that come all the way from China and just when you mean to tell her that you have no love to give her then she gets you on her wavelength and she lets the river answer that you've always been her lover and you want to travel with her and you want to travel blind and you know that she will trust you for you've touched her perfect body with your mind And Jesus was a sailor when he walked upon the water And he spent a long time watching from his lonely wooden tower And when he knew for certain only drowning men could see him 
He said, all men will be sailors then until the sea shall free them. But he himself was broken long before the sky would open. Forsaken, almost human, he sank beneath your wisdom like a stone. to travel with him and you want to travel blind and you think maybe you'll trust him for he's touched your perfect body with his mind now Suzanne takes your hand and she leads you to the river she is wearing rags and feathers from Salvation Army counters And the sun pours down like honey on Our Lady of the Harbor And she shows you where to look among the garbage and the flowers There are heroes in the seaweed, there are children in the morning, they are leaning for love, they will lean that way forever while Suzanne holds the mirror. And you want to travel with her, and you want to travel blind, and you know you can trust her, for she's touched your perfect body with her mind. you know, middle-class ponds. No. I just did it because yeah. I wanted those children, not because they're malnourished, I wanted them to eat food that filled them, gave them satiety for the right reasons. And then they could have cake and they could have, <laughs> if they wanted to, they could have a little bit of juice and so on. But we are guilty of the human trait dumbing down our landscape of food to be repetitive, to, to crave cheapness, to crave uh, um, uh, flavours, and we do that at the expense of our health. You know, our ancestors, whether they were paleo, what they've done is they've examined the middens of some of the uh, native North American groups, and they've discovered they ate something like 14 or 27 different types of seeds that they harvested. They just didn't eat oats, they didn't eat wheat. They ate an incredible variety, and we've narrow-banded that down into, you know, a, a wheat breakfast cereal, a sandwich at lunchtime made of wheat, and pasta in the evenings. Yeah. Well, that is a recipe for, uh, for, 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 for disaster, yeah. for our metabolism, for totally. our digestive system, for our wellness. 
couldn't agree with you more actually. So where can people come and buy, where can people buy your products? Yep, well, we, 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 yes, I mean, it's always t terribly worrying when people say to me, I see you everywhere. Well, we're not everywhere <laughs> because, we're, as I say, we're, we're independent, small. Yeah. My wife and I run the business. We've got a cafe in Fulham. Come to the cafe in Fulham on the New King's Road. We've got a whole wall of our foods and drinks there. So we produce um, food that inspires you and makes you feel in root health. And the, the expression root health means to be up for life. And our food. <coughs> inspires you, our food inspires you to be up for life because it, it, it nourishes you and pleases you at the same time for the right reasons. So Waitrose, I mean the usual suspects. Um, we're not in the country's biggest supermarket but we're in all the others in small ways or in larger ways and increasingly so. And that's because there is this yearning out there for a better relationship with food and we meet that criteria quite intuitively. We haven't changed our tactics. So our drinks are available widely, our almond drink and our ultimate almond drink. And we make, we have a whole rainbow of drinks, 10 or 11, well amazing crackers made, made in Italy that yeah. are, you know, uh, as, with, as with 95% of our is all organic and I've sourced every single grain and, and, and ingredient, myself or yes. our, my team, Bertel, who's head of innovation. We source it so thoughtfully. And we enjoy those relationships, and therefore the relationship, that joy in the relationship, is passed down to our, to our customers. Ricardo, obviously, online. We have our own web shop, Whole Foods Market, obviously, Plant Organic, all good health food stores, all good independents, farm shops you'll see us in. And really, it's, it's our, you know, we don't bigger the company for any other reason than we're asked to produce more. So people expect us to do more. So we're just launching kombucha. People expect us to, to have kombucha. We launch these nut bars. People expect us to have trusted nourishment. But we care. That's the difference, Charlotte, is that we care. And it's in the flavour of our food and the relationship with our suppliers and hopefully and increasingly with the relationship with all those who that's reassuring to know and I, I must say as a food specialist I, I value your plant milks I actually think the best in the market because they don't have lots of uh, emulsifiers and, and oxidized oils in them and sweeteners I do think that and they're, they're of high quality we, we, we keep it as simple as possible and it's interesting you should say that because we've got permission we've got pressure excuse me in the marketplace to produce a, a barista drink yes. a barista oat drink or whatever well, the reason that many of these barista drinks work is because of the stabilizers yeah. they put in there, which is not conducive to uh, our well-being. So we're developing one that will be a natural, by that I'm saying, without any, anything unpronounceable in it. But mind you, all our, all our drinks, more or less all of our drinks, not all of them, but certainly our gluten-free oat drink, our coconut drink, an almond drink, they foam beautifully. Yeah. You know, the idea that foaming is sort of mantra, you know, it's got to foam, and that's fine. But they do foam, you just have to understand that we haven't made them easier to foam as some as others. We make them so that they foam because for the right reason. Absolutely. That's where the integrity lies now. <coughs> it does. Amazing. Well I think our time is up, but thank you so much for your time and your generosity. I really appreciate it and I'm sure that listeners are going to get loads from this conversation and there's, I know there's loads more to talk about 
and I'm sure that we'll get together at some later point and talk about facts or you know whatever you want to talk right. about. But thank you so much for your time. No, it's been a pleasure, Charlotte. Yes. You and I have have taken this journey together and inquiring, okay. challenging, yeah. and then the joy of breakthrough when you realise the, the tremendous and sustaining relationships you can have with fellow believers in a better relationship with nature. So good for you, Charlotte. That's what it's all Thank about. You. Thank you very much, Nick. Okay. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the, pod, the Food Wisdom Podcasts. This is Charlotte Palmer here with Nick Bernard from Rude Health. Um, Thank you very much. Thanks for listening. Look out for my next show coming your way soon. I'd also like to say a very special thank you to Chef, my producer. Bye for now. Just eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. Eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. Just eat it, eat it, eat it, eat it. Eat it, eat it, eat it.